Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward, the show where we're kind of inspirational and also sarcastic bastards, depending on what we're talking about at the time. But the premise of it, of course, is that there is no one big break. Um, there are a lot of things that can make you broken, and it's up to you to deal with the adversity. Now, if you follow the show, please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, all of that stuff so that other people can find us as well. Now, uh, Always, every guest is special. Every guest is special. <laughs> but uh, this guest is particularly special to me, oh. Miss Elaine Boozler. Yay! Who, uh, you know, needs no introduction, but will get one anyway. Really? I'm getting an intro? Uh, you're getting an intro right. anyway. Um, you Put have your feet up. <laughs> you have a billion credits, but a the billion. one that I think is the most important is the first ever female comic to have a television special. Or comedy special. <sighs> yeah, well, stand-up comedy yeah, special. Yeah, the first ever female comic to have a stand-up comedy special um, which you had to fund with your own money. And we'll and talk. I waited two years to finally decide to be able to do that because I tried for two years to get one. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the first thing I want to do is I want to tell the story of how we met. Well, I just want to say that I'm really happy to be here and I, I will do any show that has the word failing in it. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so at home. <laughs> it's, yeah, we wanted, we wanted everything to feel natural for oh, you. Oh, I'm in. I got it. So Can we do it on the floor? Yeah, exactly. We'll do it while <laughs> Face down. Yeah. yeah, welcome to Fetal Position with That's Steve Hofstetter. That's it, Hofstetter. Fetal Position with Steve. <laughs> so, um, and, and you, and since we have met, you know, you've become kind of a surrogate parent figure to me mm. in L.A. And Thank you. Which is, I, I assumed you knew that already. Well, you know, I, mean, I thought I've, the breastfeeding might have something to do with it. It, it was a little much, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I give, I give and I give. It's exactly, there's, there's, you're a very generous person. I mean, I've spent holidays at your house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the way this all started, obviously, I've known who you were since before I was a comic. And there was one night at the Laugh Factory where I was doing, uh, I believe I was on the early show and you were on the late show. Right, I was getting ready for Fallon, so I was doing my six minutes all over town. Right, you're going around prepping for your Tonight Show set. And when a comic does that, they don't go off script. No. It's a very, like, regimented, here are the six minutes I'm going to do. You have to keep, you know, just flogging them. And so I heard you were going to be on the show, and I was like, I would love to meet Elaine Boozler. And so I was like, I'm going to stick around after my show in the hopes that I might get to say hello to you. Hmm. I didn't know what kind of person you were. I didn't know much about you other than your stand-up. Right. And so so Elaine goes on, and... The crowd was weird. I just, it wasn't working. It, it was just, just wasn't but the working. Whole, but the whole show. Was it a weird for everyone? It was, it was weird for everyone. It was just one of these things yeah. that, that happens sometimes. The crowd's right. a little bit off. Someone's a little chatty. Someone's focused on their phone. It whatever it is. It just wasn't happening that moment. And so you went off script. Right. And just My started. My thought at that moment was, okay, I'm doing this six minutes a thousand times before I do the Tonight Show. Tonight, I think I need a, a good show more than I need to hear the six minutes again. So I went off script just to have a good show. Right. To feel, and to not lose faith in the material. Yeah. By doing myself. the material in front of a dumb exactly. crowd. Exactly. Well, it, it's not them, but I just didn't want to lose faith in myself. I they needed a good show. They were dumb. Oh, Anyways. Well, you can't so, blame the audience or you don't get better. Spoke to, great advice. They were still dumb. So uh, you can't blame the audience. And what you did is you didn't blame the audience. You just shifted gears. But in that unscripted moment, in that like just veering off course, 
You made a reference to Curtis Granderson. I was talking baseball, and I threw in Curtis Granderson. And at the time, <laughs> Curtis Granderson, an outfielder for the Mets. Right. I'm a from huge the Yankees Mets fan. Before. Yeah, came from the Yankees right. over to the Mets. And we're a... major baseball fans together. And I did not know that about you at all. You didn't? I didn't I know. talk about it so much. But I didn't know, like, I didn't know you were a Mets fan. You didn't fan. know I was detailed about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. Look, there are people who say they're fans. Not everybody has a World right, Series party. they don't party. really follow it. Yes, we right. had some good World Series parties. Right. And we went to spring training in Florida. Absolutely. But the funny thing about me throwing out Curtis Granderson was a punishment for the crowd because I knew nobody would know who he was. And I thought, ah, you don't like me? Well, Curtis Granderson. And they went, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were you were so far off script. I know. That you I were just like, didn't even care. You, I was just I did it for myself. But it, but it ended up being for me because mm, I came, I came up to you afterward, and and I was very excited. And I tried to do the whole like meet you, show that I respect you, oh. but also still be a colleague and not be a fanboy. Right. You know. And and I went over to you and I said, Hey, I'm a big Mets fan. That was <laughs> you just mentioned Curtis Granderson. That was great. <laughs> And we started talking. And I said, I love your show. You were doing the stand-up show and then, presenting all the comics. That, and I knew you. That was the craziest thing to me. So at the time I was hosting Laughs, yeah. the show uh, which no one watched. I watched Th- it. That was a show That proves I do the failing shows. You are. You were our viewer. <laughs> I, I knew was. we had. We didn't have a zero rating. I was we the had a point oh 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 one. Yeah, exactly. I'm the plus one. And, and so for those who never watched Laughs, it was a stand-up showcase where we basically showed comics who had never been on television before. It was great. For the most part, um, I it was almost everyone who did the show was their TV debut. Yeah. And we broke about 300 comics. It was great. 300 more than Jay Leno broke on uh, 22 <laughs> years of hosting The Tonight Show. Ooh, Wanted to be the last comic standing in the world. This he is getting this is getting saucy a comic now. Or put them on. Yeah. I think he credit is where credit is due. Fair he enough. He broke 300 comics. Yeah. He broke our hearts. Ow. Not, wow. This is this is going to be the highest rated episode of ours of all time. Wait till I get my shirt off. In fair- <laughs> <laughs> that should sink it. Well, that, that's when that's. Or raise it. Who knows? It's like, like we said earlier, the breastfeeding is very generous. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you, you said to me, and I couldn't believe it at the time because a lot of people have come up to me on the street being like, oh, I watch your YouTube. One time someone has come up to me on the street being like, hey, I watch laughs. One time. One time. <laughs> A show that I I think I did forty episodes of I that show. I watched it a lot. I th- it was on you, all the time. You told me that you DVR'd it, and that I was did. something that like I it was immediately I was like that's amazing because she actually knows who I am. But also it showed me how much you cared about young comics yeah, and how absolutely. much because the reason you DVR'd it was because you were like yeah these are comics I've never seen before right, and I wanted to see it when I wasn't around and, and that's how we just dis- I mean you discovered Taylor Tomlinson on that show and turned me on to her and then we d- did a gig together yeah so you I mean it was a great show she to hosted know. that show after I left oh wow yeah that's great and so uh but anyway and then we bonded over the Mets and over but <laughs> over also Curtis. over rescue dogs yeah. because you run this amazingly huge joy. rescue charity right and so tales of joy give it give tales it money of joy.net. so <laughs> go shopping yeah go shopping buy T-A-I-L-S. stuff off of it <laughs> um and you know because of that you know we we bonded but i think also something that we bonded over is and this is something that you know came out as you know i would go have dinner at your house and etc is you have had this remarkably interesting career where you've done command performances for presidents and for royalty, but also you have dealt with a side of the industry that I feel I've dealt with a great deal, which is 
sometimes not being the in crowd. Well, I've never been. And, but it's crazy to me the idea that you've done command performances for presidents, but also not the been queen. the in crowd. Well, yeah, it's, and for a queen. Yeah, I mean, the command performance in, in, at the Palladium. But the thing that's fascinating to me is, and I don't know, you know, they say don't be first. Yeah. In anything, you know, there's no Medgar Evers Day. There's a Martin Luther King Day, and you know Medgar oh, Evers. Wow. But it's true, and you yeah. know, I laid down, and they walked over my my little body, which I'm thrilled about that yeah. it didn't go unnoticed, that it opened everything. But you don't reap the even when the door opens, they still don't want you because you made them open the door. So I feel, if you ask me to describe my position, I think in a in a business which stand up is a business of outsiders. I'm the ultimate out. Outsider. But that I'm not was, the one who gets to do the things, you know. But that was but what was amazing to me because to me, growing up as a fan of stand-up, to me, your name was just one of the names in the conversation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not invited. You know how long it took them to even put me on comic relief in those days? Yeah. Which I was the one doing it. I mean, how do you not... You know, but yeah. I think they had three or four or five comic reliefs before they said, okay, you can, you know, but why am I not on? It's just insane. But that's what appealed to me about you. I mean, aside from the fact, you know, you're, and that's you're what a fits warm the person, show. We're not, you're a we're generous not, person. Thank you. And, and we're you're, not complaining, and you're we're just talking about person. what it takes. Right, and you're a very funny person, but you made your own luck. You had to. You made your own career. You got no's constantly. You got no's after you got yeses. Uh, always. It, it finally ended. You know, Meryl Marco, who really created David Letterman's, all of his shows, The mm -hmm. Morning Show and then Late Night, you know, they lived together for 11 years. You know, it's not enough to just be a genius. The, the great thing is you need someone who gets it. Meryl literally made Dave translatable to the public because yeah. she knew how to service his genius so her writing and her producing and you know she did that show for 11 years and you know invented all the remote stupid petricks and just bulbs and you know poems from my dog and that was all her now of course he's the genius of course but yeah. she knew how to take him in a way that was presentable and that's you know that's the important thing uh, Meryl and I then you know started our own careers and great friends she would have these kick-ass specials on Cinemax or HBO and then no offers. Same with me. I'd blow the roof off with my Showtime specials, no offers. And so we're on the phone one day. This became our motto. Yeah. We're on the phone and she said, these guys do like a half-ass show and they get a series or a movie or how come we do the most amazingly reviewed shows in the world and then it just stops dead afterwards? How come it doesn't snowball for us? And my line to her was, ice don't stick to goyles. And wow. for years we said this to each other. I'd go, yeah, well, ice don't stick to goyles. And we just would, you know, miss it again. That was it. That was it. And that is it. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Showtime for a second, because that was the first special, right? Well, here's the thing. I went to, I had been 12 years in stand-up. Every single yeah. one of my jokes was a diamond on a piece of black velvet in a jewelry store. 12 years on the road. And at that point, I was touring 50 weeks a year. I was doing a two and a half hour show. I have reviews on yeah. my website that say, this is the best and longest show we've ever and seen. And this is also before, the, this is before the days where now, every comic who can do a half hour puts out an album. Yeah. I made that mistake when I started. I was Just like, put it out. and and part of it, it was also because like, we desperately needed merch money. Right. And so, it, look, my first album is 
garbage, but it saved me. Well, that's important. Because at the time, making an extra five grand a year was the difference between starvation and and success. And so it was very important. But at the time, you you were anointed to record an album. And... So if you hadn't recorded one yet, and I'm just explaining this for you the benefit when you of the listeners. No, I'm saying you. Oh, no. When Everyone got a special. Every man in the business got a special. Right. But what I'm saying is that you couldn't go do that yourself. You had to. You had to get at, one. At the time. Yeah, right. Now you guys can put out everything. Right. At the time, you know, Warner Brothers had to come to you and be like, we're making a record. Well, we didn't have electricity and or it was, indoor clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it was. You know, it, I was touring on horseback yeah, in those it was days. The, which is very difficult with a suitcase. The, so, oh, I didn't never check like. The, yeah. So the, but the the do it yourself was not a model that was happening no one, yet. You know how you read about um, Jane, well, all these guys. Oh, I had to make my own special, and I used yeah. my credit cards. I didn't have any freaking credit cards. Yeah. I didn't have anything. At I was the, on the road fifty weeks a year, and making you know seventy five cents. I had a little savings after twelve years. A very yeah. little savings after twelve years. And now, now, if you want to put out your own special, just put it out. It, you know, you get a couple cameras, you shoot in a club. My last one, Secret Optimist, was something I did completely on my own. Great. And that's a thing that people do now. At the time, absolutely unheard of. Unheard of. I was walking to school uh, 10 miles uphill both ways in the snow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The point is Elaine is older than I am. But that is uh, Elaine is older than everyone. That's the point. So. So. okay, so, So you have this polished, polished two and a half hours. Right. That you have never done anything with other than the live shows. But here's what you have to understand even yeah. more than that. It's not just a polished two and a half hours. I sold out to the rafters in 50 states. Yeah. I sold out What everything. size venues are we talking about? Oh, just clubs. 400 seaters, 500 yeah. seaters. That's still amazing, though, because I mean, even now. But we would do now, three shows a night because they yeah. were around the block. I mean, the, I remember one night I did a, a place in Ohio, and, uh, and they were around the block, and the guy said, who is she? You know, and we sold out, and he set up the the all the table for in between the shows. He said, I'm making you a dinner. And then we, he said, second show. I said, where's the dinner? He said, we ran out of food. We had to go to 7-Eleven to buy ice. We ran out of everything. This never happened before. Wow. That's how big I was, uh, you know, for the public. Right. But the, remember, the business is always the last to know. And that's the, that's the word of mouth that was happening. Yes. That is the people coming to see you. And then the next time you're in that city, because the reviewers, they're bringing three friends. And, and the then they yeah. loved me. They loved me. They had never seen anything like me. You know, it was all these great female comics who were, you know, 50 or 60 and married and talking about their husbands, which is fine. I hate when people say, oh, they were self-deprecating. So were the men. You think Rodney yeah. Dangerfield was a paragon of a winner? You yeah. know, all the men were self-deprecating. That was the world. And the women did exactly what their time demanded. You know, being talking about marriage. So they would they could relate to their audience of housewives and husbands listening to them. You know, the world was that then. But you, you don't get to put down Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller or Toadie Fields for that. They were as, you know, great. And they were doing exactly what the men were doing and what the times demanded. But then you came along and changed as this it because young the, upstart. Yeah, 20 years old. And you were, you came out of this, that class, that Catch a Rising star. Actually, it was the improv in 73. Catch wasn't even open yet. Oh, so Catch yet. wasn't even open yet. Catch but opened you came a year out and a half the, later. We're talking Seinfeld, Larry David, like no, that. No, they were you, later. They were later. They were they wow. were the second group. That's why I don't know them. Um, my group was yeah. 1973. It was me, Andy yeah. Kaufman, Richard Belzer, Freddie Prince, Jimmy 
Walker, Gabe Kaplan. Um, I mean, that's you're ughing as if that's not already an but amazing I'm trying, class. Oh, Jay, Jay yeah. Leno. Letterman was a little bit later, and this was all New York, and the improv had maybe 10 audience members a night. It was mainly a bar, and mainly people sang there, and it was going to close any minute. Yeah. Um, when Catch opened a year and a half, because Bud didn't spend a penny to do anything right, when Catch opened a year and a half later and got a publicist and people started to discover stand-up comedy, Bud said the greatest thing that ever happened to the improv was Catch opening, because yeah. it's sent people to us and then it became you know like the improv so well i want to talk about how how this show happened uh, how your first special happened we're gonna go to break for a second i have my brought my big failure story we're gonna go to success we're gonna what's the name of this thing all right we'll go to failure and success after the break but first we <laughs> gotta pay the bills and uh and come on come on back right after this Welcome back to Failing Forward. I am sitting here with Elaine Boozler, one of my favorite comics, Thank one of my you. favorite people. Oh. And uh, I do want to get to your failure story. But first, <laughs> how many? How many do you need? I brought them. <laughs> I brought a lot. <laughs> but but first, I want to talk about the how you turn failure into success, because before you became the first ever female stand-up comic to have a comedy special, a stand-up comedy special, you you were turned down. For this, well, you didn't just you didn't just one day say, "Oh, I'm going to fund this myself." Can I just say, make it clear that this yeah. is the most we've ever said I've ever let anyone say female comic in my presence. I never played that. I never acknowledged it. I thought the more you point out, "I'm black, I'm black," they won't let you work in a white neighborhood. Right, and so and I understand I never, that. And the, but it is part of what we're discussing, and it's right. relevant. It was so trailblazing. I'm you. It was trailblazing. Yeah. I appreciate but the permission. I never say it. I appreciate the permission to play the V card because okay. I don't typically do that. Play the V card. Um, but I do think it is amazing for people to understand your role in comedy history. Okay. And your role in changing the game for everyone who came after. Because that anyone, is true. anyone who's watching this has a comic that they enjoy. And whether they enjoy Whitney or Eliza or Tiffany or anyone who's out right now, none of them had special or could have had specials without this happening. And all your parents like me. So, absolutely. So, my parents love you. Yes, okay. everyone's dad. So, let's talk about the process of trying to get that on the air. Okay, so HBO took over the world, and mind you, I was on the road for 12 years. There's a point where you're just repeating the same business. I was in the same clubs, you know, doing the same, uh, uh, not the same act, but the same clubs, drawing the same, and I was so ready to burst out. It was like this eggshell had to break. All the guys who got their shows yeah. were moving up into small theaters or doing tours. I couldn't move up because I didn't, no one knew me enough. And literally, when I would show up in a city, and, uh, you know, literally the first thing club owners would say to me is, well, we're going to make our money back this week, thank God. They would have the guys who did the specials, you know, the week before I was in the club and lose money. I mean, I was the draw. Everyone knew me. And the affordable draw because once – it's so weird in this business. The second someone gets famous, like household name famous, they charge more than they can sell. 
because they they charge for their celebrity, mm-hmm. not for their actual ability to sell tickets. So they'll charge twenty grand to a club that can only sell eighteen grand worth of tickets. It's fascinating how you do your business. I played a huge theater in Miami, you know, in my prime, and Jay had played it the week before. Um, now we're going back. It's going to sound like low prices, but it's a long time ago. And Jay yeah. was famous, and I was famous at the time. And I said, "How Jay do?" They said, "Well, he charged forty dollars a ticket, and he did half." Well, I was full because I charged twenty dollars a ticket. Yeah, I never wanted people to have to miss a meal or not be able to bring a date or have a drink to come see me. I always kept my money low, and even in Vegas, you know, I remember uh, Andrew Dice Cake. Uh, Clay came in to play a weekend and he was charging $75 a ticket, which was unbelievable in those days in the 80s. Yeah. And I sent him flowers and said, thank you for charging $75 a ticket. It's the only way I'm going to be full all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've played. I did a college show once where they're like, oh, it's, you're up against Seinfeld. And I go, great. He's charging 200 Exactly. You know, exactly. I, everyone who wants to see him in Cannes is going to come see exactly. me. Exactly. I kept my tickets to twenty nine fifty in Vegas for yeah. years, and I still haven't had to work in 20 years from that money. And also the idea of, you know, I make it a point, if I am going to charge a club a, whatever amount I'm going to charge them, yeah. I better sell more in tickets than I've charged. I'm the only comedian famous for giving back money. Managers hated me. Literally, I'm in Denver, and we don't know that the Broncos are going to the Super Bowl. So I get my huge fee in those days, and I'm playing. There's nobody there, and they're just weeping. And I said, I'm not taking the money. I'll come back and do another weekend. I had to explain it three times. They didn't understand. I said, no, why wouldn't you? Just bring me back. I'll get paid then. And they went, what? Nobody could understand. Well, and the reason I do it and the reason I understand is because, because business is repeat business. Absolutely. And I want you're to. You're in it for the long and game. And whoever's watching or listening, whatever field you're in. Yeah. Whatever field you're in. So many people, short-term gain for long-term loss. Wrong. And it's garbage. Wrong. And the uh, what you need to understand is the perfect sale is the one where the buyer and the seller both get a good deal. Right. Win-win. Win-win. Right. Win. And there are so many people who go, I'm going to squeeze every drop out of this right now. And when you do that, they're they're not going to hire you again. Well, you have a job you or you have a career. Yes. You have a job, you're just taking everything and you don't care if it, there's smoke in your in your dust. But, yeah. you know, a career is the long game and you want to, the whole, I always say, don't tell me how well you did. Tell me if they asked you back because that's really the thing. That is. And that's some way to judge I how you're doing. That. And it's important. We're going to pull that out as like an excerpt. Great. That's wonderful. I mean, it really is what you're doing. So, okay. All the guys had specials now and it's been 12 years and HBO's out there. Showtime couldn't get on the dial because HBO squeezed them out. So no one wanted to go to Showtime. They had Gallagher who was their big star. And also, you're going to go, oh, Gallagher. Check out his early stuff. He did 12 Showtime specials that you could never write. That's how great he was. Yeah. So just because he's crazy now yeah. doesn't mean he oh, wasn't we're all great. crazy now. It's, yeah. <laughs> it drove us nuts. Yeah. Get out while you can. Yeah. But um, so I kept going to HBO and Showtime and begging for a special. For two years, I would have meetings and go up and beg. I'm sorry. Someone's at my front door. I have ring. That's so, the, yeah. I'm sorry. So, um. They said, this is all they ever said to me. No one wants to see a woman do an hour. No one wants to see a woman do an hour. You have lines around the block. And I kept saying, I do two and a half hours. Here, I cut out my reviews for you. I have a hundred reviews in the last two years that rave. No one wants to see a woman do an hour. I go, this is insane. How can you even say that? What they meant was, 
they didn't want to well, see a course, woman do an hour. Of course. Well, yeah, not of stand-up. So, um, <laughs> so it's driving me crazy. That was nicely done. Almost missed that. <laughs> Thank you. Chris Albrecht, who was left running the New York Improv when when uh, Bud came out to open the L.A. Improv. Yeah. Well, I came up with Chris. He was a half of a comedy team in those days. So we, we had the stage together. We knew each other. He knew what I was. They yeah. put him in charge of comedy at HBO. I go back up there it's like you know people finding each other after the holocaust like oh lansman you know yay great he said come back in a week you'll have it and he said you're going to be my first project here and it's going to be over the moon you're going to make me you know it was so great and i go back in a week and i just see his face i said no right he said i don't understand it they turned it down so i said man you know i'm gonna go to the newspapers or something and, and point out set. I didn't know what to do. Anyway, they... Yeah, and that's not... They weren't yet reporting on networks and sexism yet. Well, it, I couldn't do it because I would never play this card no matter what. Yeah. I, I just think any excuse makes you look weak and makes it like you can't get there. So I never said it. I didn't yeah. say it. Anyway, they decide they've developed something called the Cinemax Comedy Experiment, which HBO owns. You can have a half an hour and do anything crazy that you want. And it's a half hour. So Chris says, I got something for you. We're going to buy your special and we're going to cut it in half and put it on the Cinemax Comedy Experiment. I said, oh, no, you're not. I am nobody's experiment. Wow. I, it's like saying, you know, a, a putting, a, a, you know, a Leontine Price on The Voice. You know, maybe you'll yeah. win. I, I happen to be the greatest opera singer who ever lived. You know, are you yeah. crazy? You're not buying it. You're not cutting it. And I had no money. I owed $93,000 on that show, you know. So I wouldn't do it. You're not calling me an experiment. The insult. But he meant well. I love Chris. He meant well. But can I break this for a moment to take a to make a point, which is knowing your worth is important. It is. And taking because if you had taken that, that special wouldn't have broke you. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. That special, the the idea of being it was a disclaimer for being, them being uh, a, a half of what it was worth. Um, being paid probably hardly anything for it. No, no, it. there was real money, which it was very yeah. hard to, you know, have to make that decision. There was real money there. He was a friend, but, and, you know, there is worth in it, but not for me, not yeah. for what needed to be said and not done. Not the brand you were building. No, no. And um, it was phenomenal. And So what happened? So that was it. And I just was, you know, completely depressed. And uh, every year, God, we're going to run out of time. And it's such a long story. We can but... go long. We're going to go long on this episode. Yeah. Okay. So um, every year for the last 10 years, or who keeps coming over? Someone I'm not really... even home. You're getting some packages right now. <laughs> or I'm losing some televisions. <laughs> yeah, one of the two. They're ringing to check if so you're there. They're coming or yeah. they're going, but I, my computer just left the house. Yeah. So... <laughs> And my dogs aren't even barking. Yeah. You know, they're fired. That's it. The good news is it'll stop ringing because eventually they're going to steal the doorbell. And ever- so. <laughs> People do steal ring before they rob your house. They pry off the doorbell. The, so oh, the ring wow. thing can't. Yeah. I just got one. I haven't even put it in yet. Oh, my God. My friend just lost her marriage because of ring. She was out of town. She heard ring. She looked at her phone. Her boyfriend was on the porch. This gorgeous woman was coming in. And she thought, oh, nothing. Because, you know, they're so tight and they're getting married. And about two hours later, she heard it again. She looked at the phone. She was leaving. She still thought nothing because he had friends. But then he walked out on the porch in the bathrobe. And she went, oh, my God. And they broke up. Yeah. Was, it's really hard ring. Be wow. careful. Careful well, what you wish for. It's, it's also, I mean, it's not only good. Maybe I should look. She found out. Yeah. <laughs> 
Bill knew I was yeah. coming here. What's Bill doing? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's not only yeah, it's not only uh, good that she left him because he cheated, but also because he was that dumb. That dumb is what matters. Yes. Cheating. Hey, you know, life is life. But right, but you don't want to even a faithful idiot. Dumb. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Are you that dumb? I can't. All Our right, kids will die. Go. We're going back to okay. the, the Cinemax experiment. So I leave. I'm never getting a special. I'm so unhappy. And for many years, every single Christmas and uh, New Year's, I went to. Uh, London and Paris. I literally was on the road 50 weeks a year. Those two years, I would do talk shows in London. They would fly me out. Uh, The main one was the Des O'Connor show. They'd give uh, two first-class tickets. Well, I would turn them in to one coach ticket, take all the money, and I always When you used to be able to do that. Yes, when you used to be able to do that. Oh, I'm jealous of that. I know. No, I'm just saying I'm jealous that you could do that. Well, I'd go coach. I would spend a week at the greatest hotel ever built in London, the Savoy, which, you know, because I had that money, the only money I had from that. And then I go to Paris for a week. And for some reason, I loved French and Paris so much. I'm fluent. I just made myself learn it. So I'd go to Paris and have the two greatest weeks of my life. That was my time off. And then I'd come back and go back on the road for 50 weeks. And then you come back and there's Omaha. I really did. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I loved it. And I didn't really live anywhere. I was on the road. Yeah. So I had friends at a play, uh, uh, stuff at a friend's apartment in New York. So I go to Paris and uh, oh, this. I hope this isn't long and boring, is it? It is not. I hope not. Well, anyway, I, I you know, walked a million miles a day th- there because I loved it so much. And I fall asleep one night about nine o'clock and I wake up and it's 1130. And I went, oh, I'm too tired. I mean, I was like ragged. And I yeah. went, you are not missing a night out. No, I don't care what you say. I don't care how tired you get in that shower, you put on your makeup and you go out to dinner because midnight's nothing there, you know? Yeah. And I literally just got all made up and dressed up and walked along the left bank and saw this restaurant called La Vigenande and it was gorgeous and I walked in and it was midnight now, so it was pretty empty. So I'm chit-chatting the waiter forever in French and these two really handsome men walk in and I look at the dark-haired one, I went, whoa, Nelly, you know, yeah. like that. And so they're looking and looking and looking. It's only us in the restaurant and they're watching me do this. And I said, oh, they think I'm a, a, a little French girl. How cute. Yeah. So I finished my dinner and the whole place is empty. I could go out any way I want. But I ha- I squeeze between the brown haired guy and the pole thinking, you know, maybe he'll say something. And he yeah. turns around. He goes, are you a school teacher from Brooklyn? Did you know Lorna Horowitz? And I went. I did know Lauren Horowitz, but I'm not a school. He went, oh, what? I said, I'm a comedian. He went, oh, oh my God. I so he believe- recognized you but didn't know how. Exactly. Yeah. But I did know Lorna Horowitz in high school. She, He was Lorna Horowitz's boyfriend in high school, and Lorna Horowitz was one of my best friends in the clique, but I always heard about Steve but never met him. So this guy's name was Steve. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So they had just come back from shooting uh, an industrial in Germany. He had just finished shooting Ruben Ruben the movie on Friday the 13th. He was a cameraman, a DP, a gaffer. He could do anything. Well, you know, from that moment, we lived together for seven years after that night. So it shows you... Literally, it's the Liza Minnelli song, Ring Them Bells. You go around the world and you find the guy who lives in your building. But yeah. the thing is, you got to get out. You got to make your opportunity. You got to make your luck and your opportunity. And did he, so he. So we get back to LA and I tell him the story. And he went, we'll do, well, we can do this, but how much money do you have? I had $10,000 to my name in a yeah. bank account. I was in a little apartment. My rent was five fifty. We had nothing. And he said, I know everybody in New York. I own a company called Movie Lights in New York, so I have all the equipment. He said, let's go to New York. We go to New York, and he gave everyone a choice. You can get your full fee, 
Yeah. After we sell it, or you can get a little bit of money and do this for us. Well, it was the cream of the crop in New York. They all looked at me, and I was very, you know, hot in New York because I came from Brooklyn. And they yeah. said, it's Elaine Boozler. Oh, this will sell tomorrow. We'll wait for our fee. We do the greatest, one of the greatest special. I'm sorry. One of the greatest specials ever done. Party of One. It is pristine it is magnificent i you know they, steve said to me look they've turned you down so many times you're gonna have to get celebrities to do the opening with you so they can't say no but you yeah. have to get real stars that they want on cable to put cable on the map because they weren't even in the emmys they had their own ace awards nobody was watching enough and he said, you've got to go for the biggest. I'm going to teach you how to produce and direct, which yeah. I now do. And um, I said, whoa, okay. And he said, you know, they've proven it. So you've got to, no one had ever done these big openings that I started. Yeah. Party of One had an opening. Letterman, who we were the best of friends, he had never stepped out of his show yet to do anything else. And it was just the hippest, newest show he said yes. Pardon the expression, Bill Cosby, who I knew loved my work, and we passed yeah. each other a thousand times. We didn't have even faxes, you know, phones. I saw he was in Vegas. I sent him a FedEx overnight, and I said, yeah. look. And it was the week he was on the cover of Time, and his show had become number one. And they said he put NBC back on the map financially yeah. and opened up sitcoms for stand-ups. And I wrote to him, I said, I know you've done all this, but you haven't been on a cable special for no pay. <laughs> and all and my thankfully friends, he got it while his date was sleeping. So yes, he had plenty of time right. to read yeah, it. I didn't have to be on the, yeah. all my friends said, you just embarrassed yourself horribly. I can't believe you reached out like that, that you're, you should really feel you just yeah. embarrassed yourself horribly. And I had a very bad night thinking that I had until my phone rang the next morning and his uh, assistant said, more than happy. Wow. More than happy. So Letterman, Bill Cosby, uh, Larry Bud Melman, who was a, a Letterman, you know, star. Yeah, I loved Larry Bud Melman. Yeah, we Larry all Bud did. Melman, Brother yeah. Theodore, it was the biggest star in New York, and another Letterman star. Uh, Dr. Ruth, her first year, she took the country by storm. You couldn't get any bigger. Then Tom Waits, who was one of my best, oldest friends in the business, gave me the music, New Coat of Paint. So this was a no-turn-down show. Yeah. You couldn't skip those people. They had never been seen on cable, HBO or Showtime. And then, of course, an hour of 12 years of honed material. We put it together. We edit it. It is magnificent. I go up to HBO. I go to Showtime. They say, no, thanks. Wow. Oh. Oh, after all of that. So here's the thing. For years, I had said to Steve, we had been together two years by then, I said, you know, it's not women. They hate me. And he, he'd say, you're crazy. You're cra I said, no, they hate me for some reason. He went, you're nuts. I come home and tell him what happened. And he said, you're right. It's personal. It's just personal. They resent the fact of your existence, that you're not there preaching feminism. You're just existing and being feminism and they can't fight you because you're not giving them anything to contradict you're yeah. too good he said what would you like to do i said well everyone was deferred on their payment i'm going to tour for a year i'm going to pay everybody the ninety-three thousand wow. dollars, and then i'm going to quit then he said great we'll go up to san francisco i'll teach filmmaking i'll get jobs i said okay i'll make wind chimes i don't give a shit anymore and uh, so I went wow. on the road for a year. Well, there's a great saying in television, if someone doesn't like you, wait five minutes. Meaning yeah. the talent will always be here, but the people who say no, they lose their jobs and the new idiots come in. I also love uh, the, the idea that there are tons of people who are powerful enough to put you on television. No one is powerful enough, powerful enough to keep you off. 
Exactly, because it's time. Yeah. And if you just don't give up. It's a war of attrition. I'm not kidding. It's a war of attrition. I will tell you that every man who I literally would have strangled with my bare hands in those days is gone. And with no residue, meaning they left nothing beautiful behind, you and I will have left the most beautiful memories in the world behind. And people will think of us when they think of some wonderful times that they spent out. And they'll play our stuff and they'll laugh. We've never done a bad thing publicly, you know. We just made the world a little happier. So these guys are gone and they left nothing they're meaningless so yeah. okay so it's uh, it wasn't five minutes it was a year but finally these old war horses who hated women and they did left and and steve calls me one day he's out at lunch and he says hey new guys just came into showtime uh should i bring the special up i said sure what the hell well you know, You're like, what the, the hell? Rest. I'm making these wing chimes. <laughs> I'm making these wind chimes. Nobody's buying them either because I'm a woman. <laughs> and, you know, the rest is history. Four more specials, millions of dollars. And uh, and it was Peter Chernin who has taken over the world since then, yeah. running Fox and movie studios. And, you know, and Alan Sabins and the two of them went, what? And, you know, instant deal for the rest. That that show made me so rich. It was one little show. I, I paid off everyone a year later, and they all said the same thing. Oh, we've never gotten paid a year later by anyone that we deferred. Yeah. I said, well, that's who we are, and you'll work for us on the next one. And um, literally, that show ran for about 15 years because after Showtime kept relicensing it, then Lifetime yeah. took it for years and ran it every eight seconds, which is why it's called Lifetime. But the great thing that happened... <laughs> <laughs> the great thing that happened... To me because nobody wanted me was I owned my show yeah. and so when it came time for the next one Showtime said well we'll own it I said no you won't nobody wanted me I own my stuff you can rent it and so I own everything and that's why my box set just came out yeah. five hours of comedy uh, timeless which all the jokes work today how sad is that the politics and the gun jokes it's like I wrote them yesterday. Yeah, I put them up on the same. you know, YouTube and uh, Twitter and people go, this is brilliant. I go, yeah, it's 30 years old. But I'm telling you, I named it Timeless because I watched them all again and went, this could, you know, Eliza could take this show and have a hit show tomorrow. Everything works. So it's on Amazon and it's called Timeless and it's great. And because they didn't want me, I owned them. So I can put this out. Um, dear friend of mine who I've been on his podcast, uh, Arian Foster, mm -hmm. who... Uh, was a running back for the Houston Texans. Wow, what's his podcast about sports? And, and no, his his podcast is it's fascinating. It's called Now What, and it's uh, he talks. It's basically self exploration through interviewing interesting guests. And he's exploring himself through the he, interview. He, yeah, it's incredible. It's really it's really really well done. Well, because wow. he's like, well, you know, I'm interested in marine oh. biology, so I'm going to in oh. interview a for, you know the foremost marine biologist yeah, and stuff that's like great. that. That's and great. And also like Snoop's been on it, and Tony Hawk, and like all kinds of interesting sure. people. But anyway, the reason I bring him up. Is because he was um, he was undrafted out of college, mm -hmm. and so he signed for a practice squad deal in the NFL, and so he wasn't locked into one of these rookie contracts. Right. And when in his I think it was his rookie season that he led the league in rushing touchdowns, and so when it came time for him to sign his deal, mm -hmm. he's signing for fifteen mil a year two or three years before he'd even be eligible for free agency. Wow. And it's because the only reason he was able to do that is because they passed on him. Exactly. The reason he was able to end up being rewarded is because he failed. Because 
people didn't, and, and it's not even like he failed, it's that because the powers that be failed to recognize his talent. Exactly, you haven't failed, you just haven't you know, gotten where you're going, but yeah. you haven't failed. They failed, they failed to see it. Yeah, You know, Absolutely. you haven't failed, and what's fascinating is once I was locked to Showtime, HBO came back, and they said, you have to do this for us, we'll pay you more, and I said, no. You know, after the first special, they went, don't sign for three more with them, we want you, and I said, look, they gave it to me. I'm yeah. staying here, and they said, we have to have you. And I said, well, I'll do a movie for the Cinemax Comedy Experiment. They went, well, then you can't do a special for them. I said, look, this is bullshit, it's three years later, nobody wanted me, I'll work wherever I want. If you want the movie, and they said, well, write a script, I wrote a script, I did two movies for the Cinemax Comedy Experiment, wrote and directed, they yeah. got every award you could get, the best review, it got me directing work after and that I was the only comic who was on HBO and Showtime at the same time because you it's it's such an interesting lesson the idea of because they passed on you mm-hmm you over were able and to over it's not just once you can't lose heart right and it's they passed on you but your talent only honed meanwhile of course you just get better and so by the time they finally give you a look Mm-hmm. You are so ready right. that they now have to chase you. Yeah. They had all the power in the world. They had the ability to pay you virtually nothing to own you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and they, because they, they didn't, passed right, on they that opportunity. everything for no money. And because and they, they passed on that opportunity, right. now they have to beg you. Brilliant. And what's the lesson? Go to Paris, eat dinner late. <laughs> Meet Steve, find your boyfriend, yeah, find your girlfriend. Different Steve, different Steve. The, the main thing is get yeah. out of there. Just go, get out, keep your eyes open, you know, stay loving. I mean, the worst thing you could get is, bit, you know, get better and not bitter because once you're angry, it, it all goes away. You have to know what you are and yeah. that you value it. They will find you. I remember a million years ago when I was hostessing at the Improv and Gilbert Gottfried went on and it was, you know, four o'clock in the morning. He was the genius of life and, of course, the funniest man on earth. He goes on and he's just blowing the roof off. And and one of the straight comics comes up to me and says, yeah, but where is he going? And I was 20 and I wasn't even a comedian yet and I knew the right thing to say because I felt it. I said, he doesn't have to go anywhere. They're going to come to him. <laughs> that is great. And that's what happens. They find you. Don't give it up. All right. Now, you brought in a book that I want to read something from. Um, this is, I'm going to show the camera the cover. It's Dick Gregory's book. Now, you did not know the story of me and Dick Gregory and my what? father. What serendipity today. I, yeah, I told you this right before we started recording. I couldn't believe it. So Because I brought this book and not knowing Steve had any relation to Dick Gregory in any way. So I toured with Dick Gregory for a couple of days. Mm. It was the last time I ever saw my father because I brought him out with me. Um, Dick Gregory was one of my father's favorite comedians. He saw him and live mine. when my dad was 19. He oh. saw him live at Queens College. Wow. And without going into that entire story, because, I mean, that's something I might write a, write that as a movie once, just our crazy adventures across the Midwest with Dick Gregory. Nice. But um, you brought this in. It's also funny because it has to do with the Supremes and anyone uh, who really likes my YouTube knows how much, how mad I am at Mary Wilson. So it's anyway, a good time to... So it's um, a perfect, perfect time. I'm in the middle of like five books and this was one of them. And I, I knew I was coming here today. I went, oh my yeah. goodness, this has to be read on the show today. So I have not read this yet. So I will experience this... The, at the same time as the listeners and viewers. All right. 
The Supremes was one of the biggest musical acts America had ever seen. Well, wait, read the headline, because oh. it's about Barry Gordy. So the headline is Motown, Diana Ross, and the Supremes. Oh, okay. So the Supremes was one of the biggest musical acts America had ever seen. In the 1960s, they were just about as popular as the Beatles, and music groups don't get bigger than that. But you can't talk about the Supremes without talking about how the Motown record label got started. The black man who started Motown, Barry Gordy Jr., was born in 1929 in Detroit. If you can take a lesson from Gordy's early life, it might be that you don't always succeed at the first thing you try, but that doesn't mean you won't succeed. He dropped out of high school to become a boxer, and he was pretty good, but not good enough to make it. Next, he went into the army. After that, he worked in his parents' print shop for a while, then tried to strike out on his own. He opened a record store that specialized in jazz. The customers didn't like jazz as much as he did, though, and the store folded. Then he became a factory worker, went to work for a Ford motor plant. It was boring, dead-end work, but it ended up teaching him something. He was still into music, though, and tried his hand at being a songwriter. Detroit had a great public music education program, and Gordy learned his way around songs and how they work. Meanwhile, he got married, then got divorced, then got married again. His second wife, Ramona Lyles, convinced him that he should produce records, not just write songs, but be in control of how they sounded when they were recorded. That basically meant being the boss of a record. A number of things led Barry Gordy to start the Motown record label in 1959-1960. One was that white singers liked to do covers of black people's music. Another was that after World War II, when folks had a little more money, white teenagers had some pocket change to spend. At first, they bought the white singers' version of black songs. But then, a lot of them started to want the real thing. A third thing was that big bands were on their way out, and small groups were the thing. A fourth thing was that Barry Gordy knew the first three things. <laughs> Finally, Gordy knew from his boring job at the Ford plant, here's that tie back to Dr. George Washington Carver, guessing that's from earlier. Yeah, from earlier. Um, and from his parents, how to make a business run right. So Gordy started his label in Detroit and got busy signing up acts. One of the first was The Miracles, with badass Smokey Robinson, who sang and wrote songs for The Miracles and a lot of other Motown people. Gordy's whole thing was to make records by black artists that were enough like pop songs to be crossover hits, but enough like R&B songs to appeal to black folks. Gordy's plan worked, too. The singer Mary Wells had hits with songs like My Guy, which Smokey wrote, and The Miracles came out with Shop Around, which was a monster hit. Motown gave America a new sound. While, of course, there were and still are much bigger music labels, Motown was the only label to create its very own sound, which is another testimony to black genius. And there's Barry Gordy's, you know, failing forward. Absolutely. Yep. Trying so many things. But an important thing about this also is that it actually was his wife's idea. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> behind every man is a great woman. But the yeah. book's wonderful. It just came out uh, yeah, because it's everyone's failing book. forward stories. You know, I mean, they don't call it that at all. But he does show you the, I mean, it's, you know, people, black people have a lot more obstacles than white people. And he shows you how they overcame all of them to, you know, create these fantastic labels and lives and successes so it's yeah. a good book and i mean one of the things in that story you know i mean i i was digesting that story as other people were one of the things that stood out to me is not just trying your hand at a bunch of different things which in in if anyone has read uh, my book ginger kid i talk about how first i tried to be a baseball player and then i tried to be a comic book artist and i tried to play guitar and like all these other things and then when i found comedy i realized oh this is, you know, it was like being dropped in the ocean and right. figuring out I was a fish. Right, exactly. Like, oh, that's it, great. It was, thank you. It a was fishy. That is, yeah, I'm a little fishy. This? Now, there's a lot of bigger fish here. But, oh. um, the, nah. but the idea of it was a fit, and I tried a bunch of different things before finding mm -hmm. that fit, 
And what you think you want isn't necessarily what you do want. But another thing that stood out to me about this is being able to find that hole in the market, mm -hmm. find what's missing, find what other people want that you do like doing and applying your talent to right. it. Right, find the need, find the need and fill it. And that is something that you did. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Elaine, I could talk to you forever. Uh, we try to keep these podcasts fairly yes. short and digestible. The, the premise is they can people can listen to them on their ride to work if they want to. Very nice. Um, so this one is for a little bit of a longer commute. But, yes, this um, for a traffic jam. This it was it was such a pleasure, and I know that uh, you know people can find out more about Tales of Joy at mm -hmm. talesofjoy.net. Thanks. Um, and of course, your box set, Timeless. Yeah. Uh, please, everyone, go buy it. It is wonderful, wonderful content. Thank you. If, if anyone hasn't seen the special that we were talking about, as well as all your other work, right. um, you know, please go see it. It and, is part of comedy history. And plus, there's a brand new uh, hour and 15 minute CD of all new material that comes with it. Excellent. So it's not just the old days, it's the new days. And if you want to see 40 years of bad hair, ElaineBoozler.com. <laughs> just the evolution of bad hair. <laughs> yes. um, how can people find out more about you? ElaineBoozler.com. ElaineBoozler.com. TalesOfJoy.net. Excellent. There Elaine, you thank you so oh, much for this. And everybody watching, listening, etc., make sure to rate, review, subscribe, share this with your friends, and uh, that's how we get to fell forward. And a big kiss on the nose to Walter. Absolutely. The Walt potato Walter, dog. He will, maybe I'll bring him in one day. Oh, do. Absolutely. Yes, I'll bring mine and we'll do it again. Hell yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Mm -hmm.